On this episode of the Big O Podcast, I am joined by Emmy Award winner, creator of Entourage, and host of Victory the Podcast, Mr. Doug Ellen. We talk about the state of the U.S. thanks to COVID-19, the Hollywood dreams of a young kid from Brooklyn, how a spec script for Curb Your Enthusiasm launched one of the greatest HBO shows of all time, how John Cryer hijacking a starring role in his own independent movie led Doug to work behind the scenes, his newly greenlit show Working Across the Pond with Terry Henry, and how Victory the Podcast has provided a platform to finally fire back at some of his harshest critics and naysayers. This is The Big O Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of The Big O Podcast. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, writer, director, actor. Uh, he also produced this small little show that you may have heard of, and that is Entourage. My guest tonight, Mr. Doug Ellen. Doug, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? What's going on? Not too bad. We were uh, just you know, talking about uh, COVID and the effects that it's having both uh, in LA where you are and in uh, Ontario where we are. And it uh, doesn't seem to be slowing down despite what your current outgoing president might be saying. Yeah, yeah you know, it's funny because I knew, I knew on my own without anybody telling me anything. I, my son is positive right now, actually. So Oh, no, um, man, that's awful. He's going to be all right. You know, it's been, uh, you know, I think... Uh, you know what we're what people are learning is if you're healthy and young you might be okay and it's really important to make sure you don't spread it to someone else so we were real worried about his grandparents real worried about a friend of his who has a heart condition so um Jeez. but i've i've had five friends in the last week and a half test positive so i can oh, feel wow. it i can feel it growing no matter what they want to say no matter what the you know the president wants to say but um you know hopefully uh hopefully people will get smart i'm i'm kind of again i'm locking back in as much as i can uh unless i have work or you know essential mental health activities like me playing sports a little bit i'm not i'm not going anywhere you know that's right nothing can stop you from playing your pickleball nothing and i feel like you might be the face of pickleball because the first time i ever saw pickleball was like years ago when you first i guess posted that you were doing it and now it's like this daily routine and you're posting videos of you putting up some serious w's with your friends at any point are they no longer wanting to play with you because you do dominate more often than not no i don't i mean the videos <laughs> i i cut to make myself look good but the guys the guys i'm playing with for real are some of the best players in the country and i play with some of the best best tennis players in the world who play pickleball for fun but uh you know the great thing about that sport is that a guy like me can play with far superior athletes i could never play tennis with and i could do okay but they're they're better than me but they know if when i film it i'm gonna have my best shots i'm gonna make them look <laughs> as stupid as i can but i play with some unbelievable guys, unbelievable players and anyone who hasn't played this sport it's highly addictive so you should get into it fair enough now 2020 has been like a wild ride of a year and i compare it to like a game of thrones season complete chaos beloved heroes have seen their end and some bad guy in your case mr orange has wreaked <laughs> havoc on pretty much everything and there seems to be very little hopes for things to get better how would you best describe your 2020 experience um i mean you know there's obviously a difference between i've been fortunate i can i can work from home for the most part 
for me, it's seeing it through my kids' eyes. My son is a freshman in college and, and couldn't go. So he's sitting in the house doing it online, which is, you know, it's tragic because I remember my freshman year of college and how amazing it was. And then obviously I do have friends who have had lost people from this thing. So, um, so it, it, of course, bothers me to hear anyone downplay it. And again, just so we're clear, I don't know who's going to listen to this or not, but I've never advocated that people should close down the, the economy. I'm not smart enough to understand that, but I do think that listening to doctors is the smart way to go and scientists. And for me, I have acted since day one that I will do my best not to infect anybody else. And if I get it, I'll deal with it. I actually, you know, you got the Lakers stuff over there. I haven't, got, I haven't gotten tested, which I don't even know if there's a realistic test, but what, the day Kobe died, I was right. in bed for almost 20 days after that. And it was the worst flu, which, you know, there's actually was an article that came out the day Kobe died. USA Today had this little tiny blurb about COVID that day, which was, I think it was oh, wow. February 27th, maybe, but I'm pretty sure I had it. And it was, I definitely had the worst flu of my life, if not. Um, but I've acted that this is dangerous to a lot of people. And the most irresponsible thing you can do is spread it to somebody else. So I've tried my best to make sure I don't do that. You know? Yeah. It's interesting because nine times out of 10, we would listen to any doctor's orders, but for whatever reason, when it comes to COVID, everyone else seems to think that they have a much better opinion of what's currently going on. And so it's very interesting and it's divided the country realistically i mean the u.s well, election you know, when you when you have a when you have a president who's going to come out and just spew yeah. <laughs> lies about anything all day and all night there's a there's a large portion of the population that wants to believe things they want to believe in yeah. conspiracies they want to believe that this isn't happening and until it hits them personally which again i don't know what it has to do chris christie almost died the president yeah. got it the president's friend died because he went to a thing ben carson who's you know, considered this renowned physician has it right now. Hopefully it'll be okay, but it's a very uh, weird thing, but it's, it's just the same as the environment. You know, people who, who can't see it, you know, when there's a fire in LA, everybody knows stay inside or put a fucking mask on. Right. And with this, they just, uh, there's a large amount of people who desperately want to believe that someone is trying to take something from them. So it's like you just said, I have a colonoscopy three, four weeks ago. And when I see the intricacies that went into that, to think that I would listen to some fucking idiot real estate guy tell me whether I should listen to the doctor is just, it's a very strange thing. That being said, I, I don't know what the plan is because I do feel um, there's been rules that have been arbitrary and strange. And, and if you have a small business, if you have a restaurant, I have friends with restaurant businesses, uh, some of the rules that have done everything they can to put them out of business are, are pretty tragic. So, and then other people are allowed to go to work and it's just, it's, it's a weird thing, but there should have been a consistent message of how to do it. And it should have been coming from the top. It's hard for me to say the top because this guy is I'm just, you know, whatever. Hopefully we're, uh, we're only, you know, months away from no longer having to deal with them, but who knows what's going to happen now because no, things no, could no. honestly change. No, this is, this is it's <laughs> over. It, it's honestly, it's over. And, and it sucks that people, again, people have this anxiety because he can just come out and keep making you feel it, but it's over. There's really nothing yeah. to talk about. And I think COVID will be over in a year, let's say. 
So for anyone to die needlessly before that happens would be tragic. But I think yesterday, Pfizer, it's a game changer. I think it's going to work. I think they're going to get it out there, but it's going to take time. And it's going to take time to people to trust it. You know, that's the for other sure. thing is these anti-vaccine people who really don't understand that when polio was going around the world, there were paralyzed children all over the world. And we literally eradicated it by following brilliant medical people who spend their entire lives doing it. And, you know, one of the most upsetting things to me is, you know, this Fauci. I mean, he is a, a government worker for 50 yep. years who's dedicated his life and he's worked for Republicans and Democrats. And now the guy's got death threats because this president wants to call him an idiot. There is only one idiot. This president we have is a fucking moron. And <laughs> and again, I'm not talking about some policies because there were some Republican policies that I believed in. And I think a lot of people would have voted for anybody except for him. But that's that's the way it is. So we'll see what happens. Well, it's crazy. Like 70 plus million people still voted for him. And I mean, that's, well, that's, that's I, say. I don't insane. say that. They didn't vote for him. They voted for a lot of things they believe in. Right. There's definitely people who voted for him. But there's people who don't believe in abortion. They voted for that. There's people right. who don't want to pay high taxes. They voted for that. There's people who believe in in his Middle East policies, which some of them I do as well. So I don't like to look at it that everyone out and voted for him because that's just it's it's a very dangerous thing to go. 70 million people. How could you vote for that? There's right. a lot of things that the Democrats were saying, the anti-police stuff that I hated, the anti-PC culture as someone for entourage. The amount of these fucking left wing lunatics who've decided to come after me that I'm a misogynist and I'm this and that. So yeah. I think there's a middle ground and everybody needs to start trying to find that. And hopefully they will. So now let's I, I love this one because anyone who listens to the Victory podcast, which we'll sort of get into a little bit later gets to experience this fired up Doug Ellen. And I love this and I want to channel this into some of the stuff that sort of interests me because, you know, your your story and how you get into the business is a is a strange one. Not really strange, but a unique one. I mean, most kids grow up wanting to be an athlete or a musician, an astronaut, or even a movie star. And you were no different. I mean, as a kid, you looked up to people like Woody Allen, Albert Brooks, Jerry Seinfeld being someone who grows up, you know, from Brooklyn. And so, did you think that one day you would be in the Hollywood business or was that more of a pipe dream? It, it was definitely a pipe dream. And I definitely did nothing as a kid to kind of see that through. I didn't know anybody in the business. And, you know, it's not to, it's not to make excuses because kids today really find ways when they don't have context to go figure it out and make a movie and do that. But I didn't do anything. And I went to college and uh, I was heading towards law school, but it was not something that I wanted to do. And when I graduated, I just decided to make a crazy turn that my parents thought was insane. And I moved to LA without knowing, I honestly didn't know a single person besides uh, um, my wife-to-be at the time who I had met on the phone. So that was the one person right. I knew in LA. And uh, I went out there, you know, which I talk a lot about to young people. Now, the world's a different place now with Instagram, TikTok, social media, um, people can do what it took me a, a lot longer road to do, which is go make something, get it out to people and see if it, if it works. But um, I had no plan for this growing up. And, uh, you know, what I always try to tell young people now is really think it was something I dreamt of, but didn't really right. find an execution. And everybody today, if this is something you are into, start young. You know, you can make films now on your iPhone that it took me <laughs> years to make on a, on a real way. So back in 1991. So. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting because, you know, COVID brought so many of these terrible things, but then also sparked opportunity. And a lot more people were introduced to someone like Gary Vee, for instance, whose big motto is, if you want to do something, just do it. Film yeah. something, record something, put it out there and go from there. Yeah. And this opportunity right here between you and I is something that is sparked from COVID because I don't know if in 2020, no COVID, are you even doing Victory the Podcast? Are you as engaged on social media if you are on film or on set filming or if you're traveling the world or if you're in England doing a potential new show? And so this is an opportunity where, you know what, someone can shoot their shot, can DM yep. you, yep. comment on a post, and someone like you takes the opportunity to sit down with them for a few minutes and allow them the opportunity to do something that they probably wouldn't have been able to yep. do. Like you said, when you were doing it, it took you forever. You didn't have the same advances. What are some of the things, some of the positive things coming out of 2020 and this COVID that you've got to experience with your fan base? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, for us, there really was this this backlash against Entourage that was, you know, kind of hitting ridiculous proportions. We had, you know, been nominated for an Emmy every single year and usually ranked as like written up as one of the best shows on TV. And suddenly it's revisionist <laughs> schmucks talking about how bad it was. So the podcast was a was a great opportunity for us. Kevin Connolly, Kevin Dillon and myself, Jerry Ferrara to some degree, because he's he's in and out of it to show a different side of us behind the scenes of us and really, really what the show was in front of the camera, which was about friendship and loyalty. It wasn't about chasing women. It wasn't about abusing anybody. So um, we never would have done it without, without COVID. And people have asked me to do a podcast for years. And um, to be honest with you, what I really dreamed of doing when I was growing up was being a stand-up comic, was being a Howard Stern, um, and I never did anything to pursue that. And, and, you know, my acting career, uh, which is, is, you know, uh, is not a career, but, uh, was, was something that I dreamt about, but didn't do. And I was supposed to do this short film and I did the short film in 1991 and David Schwimmer pre friends was one of my close friends doing it. And I'm, I'm raising this money to make this and I'm going to star in it, write and direct it. And, uh, Somehow John Cryer's agent got it, calls and says, John Cryer wants to do that part, which was my part. And wow. I called up Schwimmer and I was like, fuck, John Cryer wants to do this part. And he's like, he's got to do it. You got to go behind <laughs> the scenes. Yeah. And that was, listen, you get someone like John to do a short film for free and you're, have never acted a day in your life. You can either go the Rocky path, Sylvester Stallone and stick to your guns. <laughs> Or you can go, you know what, the smarter move is maybe to have this great actor that I'm lucky enough to have. So that's what I did. But it was always something I thought about. Could I have played these parts? Could I have done this? So this podcast, which Kevin Connolly brought the idea to me, um, has given me a chance to do something that I really like. I love doing it. It's not, you know, uh, I think people who are listening can see that sitting in a room and writing scripts is a, is a much more difficult process than sitting in front of a mic and talking, which, as you know, you can now do this. If you have a couple hundred bucks, you can buy a microphone and you can go do yep. your podcast. And if you have some balls like you have, because you have hit me, I don't know. And then I heard you hit Connolly too yesterday. That's I'm, like, I gotta, I'm like, I got to do this podcast. And he goes, uh, what is it? The big, what's it called? The big, uh, the big O podcast. The big O podcast. So he's like, not the big O podcast. I'm like, how the fuck do you know about it? He goes, oh, that guy's hitting me all the time too. And, you know, it is something that 
if you're not an asshole and you are genuine and real, you can make contacts with people that never would have happened before. And For that's sure. a, it's a remarkable thing. And it's also a great thing because I think just like the careers of a Justin Bieber, who's got all this talent, but gets discovered on the internet. That's it's right. a great time for people who have some talent that can't afford to go move out to LA that can't afford to make movies and go spend time finding an agent. So it's, you know, there's, it's not that there's any positives of COVID, but I think it's the positive of COVID was that the internet and that the technology was here for that. Cause I can't imagine what this would have been like with none of this, with everybody really isolated with everybody, you know, trying to find themselves without any help. So I think that's been great. Now, I, it is true. I have definitely hit uh, Kevin. And and like you, I've made contact here and there. And here's the thing. I'd be stupid not to take my shot. Obviously, you can 100%. see over my shoulder. Entourage is my show. You know, since 2004, it's been my show. And uh, one of my best friends who actually got me onto the show was the, the first person who I made connection with and said, hey, listen, there's a chance that I can get Doug Ellen to come on the show. And he he was freaking out. And then I asked him for a question, completely froze. So yeah. even, you know, 16 years later, still completely starstruck. Yeah. And as you know, since doing the podcast, Entourage has a very loyal audience. Yeah. Forget the critics, but anyone who's been a fan of the show continues to be a fan of the show. Whether people watched it when it first aired or they've rewatched it now because of the podcast, fans like myself can't get enough of the characters because there's something that spoke to us like success, adversity, and most importantly, friendship. We all sort of experience that. We can all put ourselves in that shoes for a certain point. But when you're first starting to write your script spec for Curb Your Enthusiasm, did you ever believe that it would eventually turn into something that evolved into Entourage? I mean, of course you can never picture that. I mean, you know, when I wrote what happened was, uh, I had made a movie that was an independent movie. I know you know it, <laughs> Kissing a Fool. And um, <laughs> we talk about it a lot on the podcast. But, yeah. you know, making an independent movie is one of the hardest things to do. And then to get it sold to a studio, which we did. And one of the remarkable things that happened with that movie is that everybody thought it was great before it entered the theaters. And when it came out, it didn't make a lot of money. Reviews weren't great. And all of a sudden, all the deals that people were coming to me <laughs> just disappeared like overnight right. it was like I was unemployable and I spoke to a friend who said you need to be in tv you have you have you know such a, a good eye for Bob whatever it was and I said I don't know how to get into tv now I'd already made two movies sold six seven screenplays and and was living a, a nice life but all of a sudden it seemed like my career was over and um <laughs> I my, he said write a script for your favorite show and Curb and Seinfeld and Larry and Jerry, they just were like idols of mine. I sat down and I wrote it in a couple hours and I sent it to uh, my friend who also was Mark Wahlberg's manager. And Mark is also a friend. And he read it that night and he called me up because Mark and I were talking about this idea. And which wasn't really, there was not a fully formed idea. It was just like, we're talking about Mark and his friends and entourage and blah, 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 blah. So that's where it started. And it is similar to what happened with my career with the short film. Everything I did started from this short film that I did in 1991. It led to everything I did. And I went out and did that on my own. And to be honest, during this pandemic, similar things have happened. Doing the podcast has been great for my, my outside life career. 
and I wrote a script also, same way with nobody paying me, just deciding I go, want to go write a script that we're now hopefully going to go make in London. So um, this business is really always about self-starting. And as I said earlier, the great thing now is you don't need it, the agents that you needed then. You don't need right. the approval of this one or that one. And, and even more to the point for me, you don't need to worry about these critics and reviews anymore, which is, you know, something I love about the podcast. As we grow, I can talk back to the people that, you know, criticized us and I can criticize them now, you know, and you have some <laughs> fucking hack writer from the New York post who wants to like delve into your personal life and, and be nasty. <laughs> now I can say it. And, you know, you can feel like you have a way to, to speak back and, you know, people behind the scenes can kind of move to the forefront a little bit and show, you know, exactly what they did and what their contributions were. So that's great. Now you talked about it, right? You've done a lot of things, acting, writing, producing, uh, even directing. And along the way, you've experienced the highs and the lows of the Hollywood business. Borrowing from your project Wish, if you had the opportunity to, reli uh, to relive a defining experience from your life, which experience would that be? You know what? I mean, I when the first, when you say something like that, the first thing I say is like the birth of my children. I really do, without being corny. I mean, like yep. especially and not to discount my daughter, obviously, but when my <laughs> son was born that day, like it was so crazy. I looked down and had this baby that looked like a clone of me. It was so <laughs> surreal and unbelievable. Right. But I don't look back because you know, I know I I as I will say to all young people, this business, you have to be productive every day or you could evaporate like it's nothing. So I could have been more productive and I look at myself like, should I have been or this and that? But the truth is I've always moved at my own pace. I've always been interested in doing what I want to do. And I've been lucky with Entourage. I really was able to, after HBO believed in me, I was able to do whatever I wanted. And the same thing on the two independent films that I did. Those are very rare experiences. Usually you're dealing with so many voices and so many things. And uh, especially as I get older, I want to deal with as few people as possible. And I'm not fortunate <laughs> right. enough to be able to paint or play or be John Mayer and pick up a guitar and just sing without <laughs> needing anybody. But um, I've tried my best now to find people that I want to work with and that I enjoy being around rather than chasing, you know, just the gig or the money or whatever it is. So... Now, speaking of John Mayer, uh, just very quickly, are we close to getting him to table read for Vince? I know you brought it up on the podcast as somebody you'd like to do it. If Adrian does not come on, you is know, that it's so someone? Fun. It's so funny that you say that because I actually, I reached out to him last night about this. Like, this oh, there we like, go. You know, I have not heard back yet, but, uh, you know, um, we have an old entourage script that was not approved to make. And I want to get, we, you know, Jerry will do it. Kevin Connolly, Kevin Dillon. And uh, yeah, we want to get John to play Vince. We'll see if we make it happen, but it'd be very cool. Listen, Adrian's out there saving the world. I'm sure if he can do it, he'll be willing to do it. Obviously still talks really well about the Entourage crew yep. and his time, but uh, the show must go on, as they it, say. It must. <laughs> so as a fan of the show, uh, one of my favorite parts of Entourage is when we get to see the small, uh, full clip footage from like a, a movie that Vince is doing. And it certainly yeah. adds the authenticity to what the show was all about. Yeah. We've seen you ahead of the curb when it comes to films like Aquaman, Medellin, The Great Gatsby, and the upcoming movie Enzo Ferrari. If a studio came to you now, blank check in their hand, and they said, we want you to make a film, money, no object, which Vince project from the show would you most like to do? 
You know what? I'm not, I'm not that kind of filmmaker. So <laughs> while I love those big types of movies, um, it wouldn't be a blank check thing to me. I don't have that Spielberg type of mind of like, oh, it's dinosaurs and this and that, or, or Aquaman. Those aren't <laughs> things that, that ever would be something I feel like I could do. The, the personal friendship stories, which are the things I'd rather go make a swingers type of movie or a diner right. type of movie than, than a big giant movie. So even like the new show I'm working on, when they talk about, you know, what kind of big budgets to do that. The first thing I think about was how we shot Entourage, which was a very, you know, and I'm not saying this because of me, the cinematographers I got, and the directors I got and the thoughts that I had about it made it a very big visual show. But my goal was always, let's do it as inexpensive as possible. Let's right. have the, li the least risk as possible for everybody so we can all feel like we won. And even with the Entourage movie with a lot of people, you know, a lot of people consider not successful. It was not an expensive movie, especially for what it looked like. But um, I don't look at those blank check things. I'd rather see, I'd rather, if you told me I have a blank check and I have can go hire people, I'd rather go, I'm going to produce and I'm going to get Scorsese or I'm going to get, you know, some of my favorite peoples to, to go make something. That's how I would think about it. Fair enough. Now you've spoken about not wanting to do a reboot of Entourage. Uh, I mean, you said that if someone would pay you a lot of money just to produce it but not have to deal with it, yeah. you would consider it. Or even the idea of doing it in cartoon. Yeah. Now, if it was created today, so Entourage never created in 2004, but we started it in 2020, which five actors would you like to fill out your Entourage on screen? You're giving me that off the top of my head? That's I'm it. That's yeah. it. Well, I mean, listen, you're tuned in to, to what's going on in Hollywood. You may have, you know, an actor or two because you obviously are watching Netflix and all these shows. I am watching it's everything, but I really, you know, it's it's a weird thing when I look back at the show now and it was a difficult, difficult casting process. Right. Um, there's no one I would change. And I and it's it's to me, it's one of those things where I look back and go, uh, I can't imagine the show with anyone else. <laughs> And to go forward now, I don't really have thoughts. You know, when I started the show, Vince was named after Vince Vaughn. And John Favreau, right. I like, was like Vince Vaughn and John Favreau would be great as these two guys. So I didn't really have thoughts until, like, I wrote down in the script, he is this John, Joe Pesci type, you know, a Jack Russell Terrier guy. And when I met Kevin Conley, I'm like, this is the guy, you know? And when... Kevin Dillon walked in, I was like, I'll never find better than this. Now, Piven was the only one. I wrote it for Piven. Right. I knew in my head that I wanted Jeremy Piven. I loved him from Larry Sanders' show and other things he's done. Um, but other than that, it was finding them. And now I look at the, the, the five of them, and there's no one I would replace it with. So I wouldn't even, uh, you know, I wouldn't even use my energy right now to think, oh, if I did it today, who would they be? Of course, there's... There's great people, but everybody was perfect and especially perfect for the timing, you know? No, that's totally fair. Now, earlier today and on the on the uh, podcast, you have talked about the early stages of a new show that you are going to be getting. And yeah. I'm assuming you were probably hopeful to do it a little bit earlier because due to COVID, obviously yeah. there are some travel restrictions and you're going to be doing a new entourage style show inspired and focused around Terry Henry, a former French soccer player who played for Arsenal, who spent most of his career across the border. Now, with Entourage, you were able to combine experience in the Hollywood business from both you as well as Mark Wahlberg. 
to create this perfect fusion of a storyline. What is your approach for creating this new show based around Terry? Well, again, the biggest thing, and, and while obviously I did find as I started writing Entourage that, wow, I really do know the workings of the Hollywood business because we did capture it very realistically. Um, so I don't know how that came in, but none of that, none of that interested me when we were selling it. And I think the reason we sold it and the reason it worked is because what, what I know how to do is deal with family and friends and whether it was right. Ari and his wife or Ari and his child or the guys in their group, it's what I inherently know. And I've lived my whole life. So with this show, which again, everybody's going to compare it to entourage. There's no way to stop that, but it's kind of silly because like ballers and entourage to me, they, I don't, I, no matter what anyone says, they have nothing in common with each other. Okay. It's right. Like a lot of people say, Oh, that's like a ripoff of entourage. I don't even know what it is, but what Entourage was, was this really, forgetting Ari for a minute, these four best friends living out fantasy land. But the truth is, I could have taken those four guys and put them anywhere. And, you know, we had right. Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street on, and we talked about, those are guys I grew up with in New York. Those are guys Jordan grew up with in New York. So what would have happened if Vince wasn't a movie star, but he was a, an amazing salesman? Is it possible they all could have been scumbag stockbrokers in New York. <laughs> so that show could have worked too. Um, so I really look at it inside out, the friendship, the relationships, and any great show is that because The Office and Cheers, two of my favorite shows, they're both workplace comedies, but yep. you don't really compare them. You don't really go, oh, they're just doing fucking Cheers in an office. So <laughs> right. this show is going to be about aspiration it's friendship loyalty respect and it's going to deal with stuff inside the football world we don't say soccer when we're doing this in that's Europe. right so, so but uh of course inevitably people will compare it hopefully favorably but i'd like it to have some deeper things going on some of the racism that Thierry's dealt with in his life and some of right. the the real the real poverty that some of these kids come from and have to deal with so um, you know, it's gonna, it's hopefully gonna be fun and great. So, yeah, the life of a young footballer starts. I mean, way before we see them on the grand stage, that they're getting yeah. recruited to these farm systems. You know, seven, eight years old and bred to be soccer or football players, as you said. So, I'm sure it's gonna be very interesting. Now, Terry Henry, he was part of the Entourage movie. You had the likes of Russell Wilson, who you're a big advocate for for MVP yeah. for the 2020 NFL yeah. season. Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, you've had a LeBron. list, LeBron James, listen, Martin Scorsese, uh, Casavetes, like you have had the who's who of show of people on your show. And maybe I could see the comparison that wise for what ballers did, but that's like you said, pretty much it. I mean, yeah. Of, of everyone who's been on your show, who has been the most pleasurable i guess to work with who do you think you had the best experience with when filming your show i mean it's so hard to say we had so <laughs> many great people and honestly there wasn't a bad one in the bunch but i mean scorsese larry david and you too and um you know russell's my buddy and and tom brady was a, a somewhat of a friend they were all just awesome. So, you know, the great thing about us was that they wanted to be there. So it wasn't us chasing them or paying them a lot right. of money. They liked the show and they wanted to be there. Gronkowski was awesome. Gronkowski hung out 
the whole day after his scene was over and was serving soup to the extras. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and he's just like, you know, and Rob Gorkowski, which I've told this before, but he said to me, he goes, Doug, I told my friends in high school I was going to be on Entourage. They thought I was fucking crazy. And then he comes <laughs> in on the movie. So it was the wish fulfillment, some for them as well. LeBron James, right. you know, he ultimately went and did his own version of Entourage, whatever, with Survivor's Remorse. But, you know, when I met him, he said to me, this is my E, this is my drama, this is my turtle. And right. those are the things that that stick with me. But Mark Deshera from the Yankees, who got me Yankee Stadium to shoot in, was amazing. But, uh, you know, one of our, our first cameos, I guess, you know, Larry David is like, you know, who I wanted to be. So, right. That was pretty special. And and one of the guys that I was really intimidated when he was on the show. So that was, that was cool, but we became, you know, we became friends. He came to my birthday party and uh, it's just, it's all been good. Also just that we know, I don't, I'm not going for a mustache here. I, this is for charity <laughs> Movember. And I don't want anyone to think like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy trying to look like a seventies porn star, but uh, it, listen, I, it, I was, I was going to get to that. The one thing I wanted to say before we uh, we wrap up and let you go is uh, Gronkowski, Gronkowski strikes me as the kind of guy who just you have to kick off of set eventually because you're just having way too much fun and doesn't want to leave you that know, experience. The thing with him is like people can think he's like this fratty, like out of control guy. He is such a nice, easygoing guy. He just really is a happy guy. And when right. he was on set that day, he brought just a tremendous amount of great energy. And it's why, you know, for whatever it's worth, I don't know who, how much, you know, in Toronto they care about football and stuff. But, you know, when Instagram first started and I was like Tom Brady or Gronkowski, I'd get all these New Yorkers would be like, you, you're, you're a sellout, you're a giant <laughs> fan. But, you know, when, when these people are good to you and when you really get to see them as people. So I root for the, I'm rooting for the Bucks to do well. I'm rooting for the Patriots to do well because Bill Belichick was, was good to me and Russell obviously in Seattle. So, um, you know, all of that fanboy stuff that you were as a kid, um, you start to go, you know what, I root for people that were good for me. And, and I think, you know, kind of what we're doing with, with Victory, the podcast, where we bring fans in. And again, it's not just entourage. It really is, is much more than that. And we'll keep expanding out from just entourage it's friendship and loyalty. And we bring the fans in, we start to become friends with them. And it, it feels like it's just an extension of that, which is cool. And I know it's not the excitement for me, but some of them, they see Kevin Dillon and they're like, I'm talking to drama and they love it. So it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, you did the fall, the uh, fan call in show, which was, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm sure it was chaotic. And on the uh, Sundance kids episode with Rob Weiss, uh, we're going to get into the mustache. Kevin Connolly has a goal of trying to raise, I think it's what, $20,000 yeah. uh, again for the charity uh, for the month of November, for yeah. November. So anyone who sees this right now is going to see the lovely uh, tickler over uh, Doug Ellen's top lip. Yep. He is growing it not for fun. He is growing it for charity. Why don't you guys, can you tell me a little bit about what you guys are trying to do and uh, how you're trying to get there? Yeah. So Kevin obviously brought me into this, but Movember is a charity that does a lot of things incorporated in men's health from suicide prevention to early testing for cancer and all of that. So they've got a great charity. They've done a lot of good stuff and uh, Conley brought me into it. And it's actually, it's fun. I mean, it's weird because um, you know, I'll be on, uh, on a pickleball court on Sunday and I know I'm People are like, what are you doing? Because they haven't seen me. And right. even though it's like, I didn't believe I could grow it. I've never done this in my life. And I, I've never had really 
you know, whatever, but um, it's going to be interesting what it looks like each day as this goes on. So you can't, you have to shave every day, the rest yep. of your face, leave this going and, you know, walk around the world like you're a guy with a mustache. So, <laughs> I mean, one of the benefits, I guess, is with COVID, you're not going to see that many people on the street, no, but you're still going to see me on a fucking uh, video <laughs> that you can send out to the internet. I mean, I'm trying That's to it. That's it. And listen, just for the record, E, my favorite character from Entourage. Not saying that so that Kevin will do the podcast, yeah. but he it was my favorite. Identified with him the most. I, listen, I love that. So great. I appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, Victory, the podcast. Where is it available? When do episodes uh, come out? They come out every Wednesday. Hopefully, we'll start doing two a week soon, but every Wednesday. And they're available wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Play, and some others. But uh um yeah that's it so thanks for having me it was good talking to you man i appreciate it thank you for taking the time you can find doug ellen at mr doug ellen on instagram thank you for watching and listening everybody victory the podcast page follow that there we go for my guest doug ellen i'm julian ortiz thank you for watching and listening have a great night everybody